Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for choosing to listen to the History Voyager. This is another special presentation on COVID-19. Alright, so as I record this now, there are over 50,000 deaths. It is April the 23rd at around just a shade before 9 o'clock at night, as my grandmother would have said. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about these, I guess, open up protests and stuff. First of all, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, or outside of Atlanta, Georgia. My governor, Brian Kemp, is deciding to partially open up the state, uh, even though apparently the... I guess the state legislature is going to stay closed until June. You know, hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I guess. Anyway, so, like I'm saying, he wants to open up uh, restaurants uh, for dine-in. He wants to open up uh, nail salons, uh, tattoo parlors, massage parlors, and movie theaters. I think movie theaters, uh, that's an interesting um, thing right there because Hollywood has suspended movies. So there's not really movies coming out so far. So what are they even going to see? Um, and you see like on, you see like on social media, like on Twitter, reports that some of these uh, movements were funded by Alex Jones of InfoWars fame. Some of these were funded by uh, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education. Um, but, you know, this this has the smell of less than authentic, if you will. Now, and the other, the other question that I have is, if you're making $7.50 an hour, right, uh, Nobody in 2020 is supporting themselves on $7.50 an hour. So right there, you're not talking about the major wage earners. Most people, including this person, actually believes that this was done to get low-wage earners off of the uh, unemployment rolls. Uh, by the way, uh, one in five workers in the state of Georgia has essentially filed for unemployment. That is amazing, if you think about it. One in five. And please remember also that unemployment is a statistic. It is not a service. So therefore, there are plenty of working people that are not eligible for unemployment in the first place. And therefore, you know, there isn't really a... a, a, a way to capture those people in a data set as much and also there isn't you know you're also not talking about people that neglect to file for unemployment now you know i also wanted to talk about and i get it i get that there's pushing 30 million people in this country unemployed which is a huge percentage it's the largest percentage ever I get it. I get that a lot of people are hurting. But I also get that it's funny 
there, there's a couple of things happening here for those of us, for those of you listening in the future. Uh, there's, there's a f- couple of things happening that really have been bubbling up for quite a while and that need to be talked about because I think we're sitting sort of at the intersection of a couple of things that just happen to be happening uh, during a pandemic. And maybe the pandemic either brought these out or exacerbated them or what have you. And the main thing I I think we're seeing is that the political divisions in this country, they're not as deep as they ever were, but they're pretty deep. Right? The fact that that you can have op- two op- opposing camps who literally seem to see reality differently. They literally seem as though they're approaching the world from two completely different reality sets. And that's that's huge. And that's something that that you know needs to be thought about a lot. You know, the historian uh, Colin Woodard or Woodward, Colin Woodward, talks about how America was founded by these tribes that essentially came to America from other places, or America just sort of grew up around them, but essentially just different tribes. And the South is essentially, in Atlanta, is what he calls uh, Greater Appalachia. Now, Greater Appalachia, he says, uh, and he's actually right on this, was was settled a lot by uh, people from the north of England and Scotland and also Wales. And this group of folks had a horrible relationship with the king, no matter who the king was. And essentially... So says Colin. When people got to America, they, when these people got to America, they essentially transposed their hatred of, you know, the ruling authority to um, whoever. And, you know, they lit out from the cities and they went into the, 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 I guess, the rural or the remote areas as fast as they could. And then, you know, after the Civil War and the, in you know, before the Civil War and, and then during and then mainly, I guess, after the Civil War, if you will, the post-bellum period of the Civil War, if you will, the, the planter class and this class of greater Appalachians essentially formed an alliance which holds sway in a lot of the South and also, I guess, you if you want to include the Midwest or part of the Midwest, I guess the greater South. I don't know if did I just coin a phrase there. Anyway, so th- this group of people tends to have a problem with um, central authority, which is weird because they are the central authority in an awful lot of places. But you see that in terms of like your you know, open up. They want to open up. They don't, they want to be free. They, you see the rhetoric of these people 
in terms of we want our freedoms back. Even though, like, I don't want to use the term common sense, but, you know, you've got a pandemic um, where over 50,000 people have passed away. And by the way, that number has increased from a couple of hours ago when I first set out to record this video or this um, audio here. So I'm sure by the time I drop it, uh, that number will be out of date. So yeah, um, think of this as podcasting a la Cinema Verte style and not, you know, etched in stone. So, but, you know, so they, they don't really, you know, think central authority is, is great. Which is weird because they, they sure do, you know, you look at, they tended to, you know, in the post, um, I guess in the post um, civil rights era that we all live in, they tended to vote Republican. You know, the the South has been, it was at one time solidly Democrat, which they were segregationalist Democrats, and and then it shifted gradually to essentially Republican, and now you've got you know, holes in that, obviously, Virginia and, uh, you know, North Carolina on occasion. Um, but, you know, mostly Republican still today. But the fascinating thing to me, more fascinating than the partisan issue, is the fact that these two groups of folks literally look at reality separately. They, they look at reality differently. And there's a couple of, I mean, you know, and as I've, as I've said and will continue to say, you're going to be able to set this to music by the time the podcast is over. Uh, the, the, uh, the pandemic is man-made and the disease is natural. So what I mean by that is, you know, the disease is a product of nature. It's a product, and so humans interact with you know, the disease, and they get it. And you look at the Spanish flu, for example. The Spanish flu was clanking around Kansas for years before it got into Camp Funston in Kansas and went wide, went wide all, all across the world. And you can also say, well, it was in, in France and, you know, in China. But I tend to think it... it the evidence that I've seen says it came out of the best case is, is Kansas. But here's the thing I want to say with that is, okay, this is just the manifestation of the, you know, the, the political element of a pandemic. And I guess one of the, one of the uh, I don't want to say strange, but one of the characteristics of this pandemic is it seems to be driven I don't wanna you know it seems to be fueled by social media it seems to be that you can go on social media and learn more from that than you can from the news like you get epidemiology experts tweeting 
sports people who then retweet out what the epidemiologists say. And, and we're learning here because this is a new disease. We're learning all about it. It's essentially at the same time. Like the other day I read that you can get it from all kinds of bodily fluids. Uh, not just sweat, but also urine. Um, you know, you can smell urine and have it go up your nose, apparently. And also, they, they also think that it travels in air filtration systems. Now, again, I'm saying this today and on the 23rd and of April, and they might come back three days later and say, no, no, that was crazy. No, that's stupid. No, knock that off. But as of right now, to the best of my knowledge, it actually travels in air filtration systems. And this, so this newness and the, the fluid situation with which the knowledge about this virus exists does not, con is not conducive to a set of people who tend not to think experts uh, should be listened to. And again, this I'm not saying that these people are special. I'm not saying that, that this is a new thing. I'm saying that there is a... It's basically of their stock. That they just, you know, they, they had a problem with the authorities of Europe and they come here and they've had problems with authorities here. And I think we're seeing that. And it, it's really, it's honestly amazing to see it. Um, you know, it's really honestly amazing to see it. And I don't know if I entirely buy uh, uh, Woodward's, um, I'm sorry, Woodward's um, thesis but it's a thesis that that's out there. Um, you know, I live, as I've said, I live in Georgia, and I live in Metro Atlanta. And in Metro Atlanta, Metro Atlanta is one of the fastest growing places in the Americas. You know, we have millions and millions of people, or we have, you know, institutions of higher learning, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, the Federal Centers for Disease Control is here. So, you know, but yet and still, you're, you're essentially also kind of in the South. I mean, you are in a map, and we certainly get the foodways and things like that. And so I kind of chafe at the ignorance. Like, I don't necessarily buy that these people are ignorant. In fact, I don't buy it. What I really think is going on is, um, actually, I was thinking a lot about this. Uh, throughout this whole project, I've been thinking a lot about an old man that I used to know. He was, uh, he had written for a Chicago newspaper. And he basically, he worked in one place his entire, literally from the time he was 14. And he worked there first as a newsboy, and then he worked his way up eventually to editor. And he'd never been to college for this career that he had. And he lamented t 
to me many, many, many times that he said the, the worst thing that ever happened in journalism is that it went from being a trade to something you had to go to college to do. And, you know, he convinced me of that. I am convinced that what you sh what they they where journalism left i guess you know not even the average Amer well the average american might be different from what you and i would consider the average american but what he would consider the average american actually what he said was where journalism left the average american was um it went from being a trade that you could get these blue-collar kids and you could basically teach them how to be a journalist through the years where they cultivate sources to where they you you know you, you go to the Ivy League schools or to somewhere like that like you know the New York Times or the Daily Beast or whoever isn't getting reporters from you know your public state colleges you know, or if they are, that's the exception to the rule. You know, and I think that's actually one of the th one of the reasons why the average American, certainly the average Republican, is is doesn't respect the, the you know they call it the media as though the media is one thing. I don't think it is one thing. I don't know if you remember, but on a previous podcast. I talked about how ever since Teddy Roosevelt, we have uh, kind of gotten into the president as expert, where we like our president to at least follow the expert opinions of, you know, people in civilian and military life. And this actually comes away quite a bit from the 18th century uh, model that our country had where apparently, you know, you're just supposed to be a planter and that's good enough level of expertise. In fact, I would argue that it's the modern uh, reliance on this expertise that adds to the, I guess, the current modern day uh, sort of partisan divide because essentially we have factions or groups of people you know, some might say we have two groups, but I don't know if it's two, but whatever. But you have groups that say, well, this is important. No, that's important. And also, I think for a lot of years, uh, for much of our nation's history, the saving grace was that you could, like those northern Englishmen, you could actually remove yourself from the authority of this country, where nowadays you really can't do that as much and I think in a way you know what we're seeing and not just with the virus but what you're seeing is that that this realization that you really can't remove yourself from the expertise that you don't necessarily like right and you know and I think that has a lot to do with it that has a lot to do with these people I think, you know, the on the face of it, some of these protests seem silly. Like you you see a woman holding a sign up that says, I need a haircut. And a man holding a similar sign up. And, 
and I saw a young man holding a sign up that read, don't mess with my golf season. It's, it's as though they're choosing to run away from expertise. And, and I situate that with the reaction that a lot of people have had towards pandemics in this country, that, that this country is in a way, in a very real way, and has a tradition, I don't, I hesitate to use the word proud, but a tradition of, of running away from authority, be it, you know, governmental or whatever. And, you know, this is why we, we have climate change disagreements. And virtually no other uh, first world country has a climate change disagreement. And some of it fits into the Chinese proverb of the grandson feels entitled to the grandfather's life. But I honestly think some of it is just this, I guess, American idea that, you know, um, expertise is simply not anything that we need to hold into esteem. And ironically, I think this has increased with the advent and proliferation of the smartphone. I think because so many people think I have Google in my pocket and I can ask Google a question and that question it will be right, I think a lot of people are okay with that answer that Google provides them. And I don't think they want to delve deeper. You know, I remember when the virus, the COVID-19 virus got started, um, you know, I didn't, they talked a lot about the exponential curve and I didn't know what the exponential curve was. But when I looked it up, I was incredibly troubled and, and almost horrified at the prospect of, of your, you know, the, the cases doubling every two days, which is what happens. And we're somewhat, you know, 50,000 cases. And you think back in February, which was two months ago, it, you know, this was essentially, I mean, we now know it was going on in California, but essentially it was almost nil and, you know, it's just incredible. And of course, I'd, I'd be totally remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that that right now, you know, this isn't, it's not like the vaccine is coming out next week. So, you know, there is going to be, there is going to be a moment when we're going to have to turn this thing back on, for lack of a better word, before the vaccine is ready. And that's when we're really going to need a lot of kindness. You know, here's the thing that, that I guess... Georgians are, are realizing is that we're in this ourselves like there is no greater governmental help you gotta you gotta do it yourself because apparently our governor has um, you know essentially you know prioritized theaters and massage parlors which why in the world you'd have a massage parlor open during a pandemic 
when one of the principal ways to, to get this disease is to be touched by somebody who has it, apparently. I mean, that's just silly. Except it's not silly. It's crazy and, you know, depraved. But then you look at um, this whole idea of our economy is essentially a service economy. It's, we're not a manufacturing economy anymore. We're essentially a service economy. And, you know, in the 1918 pandemic, we had farms. And, and people could, you know, go fall back on the farm and eat, you know, off the farm. And, you know, some of them, without even realizing it, were social distancing. One of the interesting things in the research I've done for the 1918 flu pandemic is that they kind of knew to social distance even though they didn't know exactly why or even really know what germs were. Um, and of course I'm talking to the president now with social distancing. Um, for those in the future, this is a new concept that we have to deal with today. This idea that we have to be six feet away and anybody who's been out in public, even just in their neighborhood, would know that that's not, I mean, Americans are social. Americans are social creatures. So that's that's not an easy thing to do. And of course, you know, all this, you know, social distancing, etc., depends on the idea that it's only as, basically, it's only as infectious as we think it is. If it gets more infectious, or if, you know, they're, they're starting to see, like, there's cardiac involvement in the people who survive COVID and they'll die of a heart attack or a stroke a couple weeks later. That's one of the side effects or horror stories, I guess, of a, of a new situation like this is that we really don't know and we really aren't learning. So I, I guess at the end of the day, we were all going to need to have more kindness and, and more, I guess, empathy, so to say, about all this. And, you know, but it doesn't really help when you see the, I guess, your elected leaders like the mayor of Las Vegas famously now wanting to put everybody back in the casinos and hotels well, enclosed air-conditioning spaces where people touch things, that is exactly how to spread this. So you better watch out, Las Vegas, Nevada. You, you guys are going to be a hot zone, like a, a truly hot zone. And plus the, the warm weather theory with uh, warm weather dying, killing COVID, that is increasingly, we think, becoming less and less likely. Um because warm places are now are now uh, getting COVID and you know there's all kinds of developments um, which are challenging you know things we've thought before such as the bodily fluid thing and, and stuff like that but then you add you know you add in some of the I guess the, the rambling press conferences that the president gives and to the average American that's got to seem terrifying not not even just whatever whatever you think of the man Democrat Republican 
it's got to seem terrifying to see these stream of consciousness press conferences up there. Um, you know, he apparently wanted people to um, use bleach on the inside of their bodies, which is crazy uh, to think about. So obviously he's shooting off the cuff. He, he's, you know, not an expert at this at all. And I guess the Carney Barker instinct in this man wants to um, just shoot off the cuff, which is a little unsettling in a disease like this. I got to say, I, I can't imagine the other presidents, specifically presidents from Teddy Roosevelt forward, literally just shooting off the cuff like that. That's a little troubling. Uh, anyway, um, I guess on that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it and uh, drop this COVID number three podcast. Uh, thanks a lot. You can follow me at, at Ben's Charlie on Twitter. And uh, I've gotten a great response so far. Uh, thank you guys, and I'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.